Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Access Access All Areas, episode 166, the podcast that aims to dive deep into all things great about this band, doing with a bunch of patrons and fans around the world of the band, plus also my compadre B, but also today we're welcoming a special guest of a guest, uh, Dr. Jim, one of the uh, long-standing patrons joining us today. Hello, Dr. Jim. Yeah, hello, Hayden. And B, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm looking forward to hearing all about this episode. We're all sort of shining through the computer with a little bit of uh, yes. gig afterglow, aren't we? Have you uh-huh. noticed it? <laughs> but uh, look, this is a feature episode today. There's not going to be the usual trimmings of news and the rap and a whole bunch of things. This is uh, one of the podcasts we've looked forward to securing for a long time. And uh, we've got a great guest on today. No surprises as to who it is if you've read our bulletin and our, our little newsletter seen the copious amounts of social media post bees put out there. Uh, but we will, uh, in a few moments' time, be uh, welcoming uh, Noel Rogers to the podcast, B. Yes, well, I wasn't there. I was Zooming with you two behind the scenes. I was so jealous and envious, you both, being in the actual dressing room of Niall Rogers. Well, what we thought we would do, first of all, is uh, uh, give it a little bit of a backdrop on that. Those who don't know Niall, I mean, it's a bit weird, B, like, uh, we there are a lot of people around the world know Niall for his songs, but they don't really know him so well. And just for those who are a little bit uninitiated through our podcast uh, versus those who are, uh, Niall's a guy who started off in the early 70s and then working with people like Luther Vandross and working with uh, Ashford and Simpson, the, the very famous songwriters, and then set up his band Chic with, uh, with Bernard Edwards and Tony Thompson. He famously, I guess, then went on to be signed to work with Diana Ross and work with her uh, on various recordings. He then went on to work uh, with Bowie. He then uh, worked with In Excess. He then worked with Duran Duran. Uh, he worked with the Thompson Twins, B-52s. Think of Love Shack and Rome, their biggest hits. He produced those. Gone on to work with Daft Punk, as we know, and uh, Mick Jagger. And even this year, picked up a couple of Grammys working with Beyonce on her latest Renaissance album. So talk about the guys had over like 50 years uh, relevance and hits in every decade, guys. That's exactly right. And amazing. Nice. I mean, that list is even bigger than what you've said there. Every artist that you could ever think of, like Madonna and George Michael, he has produced for all of those people. Forgot Madonna. How do we forget Madonna? Uh, although Madonna. he reminded us of the concert uh, about his work with Madonna, which was great. He's got a very uh, interesting guitar style. I think, Jim, you're the muse amongst us. So what's it called? Like a chucking style? Is that right? It's like a, yeah, it's, a, it's like a chunking riff, you know. It's... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, and with a lot of muting, it's just it's very um a very cool sound that he's got, and you can hear it throughout the songs that he played um on the concert. So instantly mate. catchy, isn't it? Mm. Oh, and you can see how you know that kind of when you look at you know original sin, how that tink 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 tink, you know that that chicka chicka chink. It's it's him. Yes, and and look, you know his particular style, I guess, has crossed over with all of those artists we've mentioned. You know, white artists, black artists, funk, R&B, soul, rock, or Daryl and John Oates from Hall & Oates fame. 
worked with those guys uh, who you know quite soulful in their their uh, catalogue. A bit of a shout out too. I want to give a, a big shout out to Fran. Uh, was the booking person behind the scenes overseas who organised the interview. I want to thank Amy who uh, helped chaperone us during the uh, the evening. We thought just be we might just give our listeners a little bit of a, a preamble because you did say just before we came on air you've never seen me so nervous and you're probably right because. The thing that made me nervous was my technical, as I should say, lack of technical prowess without you there. So much so that I rushed down to buy a little iPhone, uh, a little tripod selfie stick thing, and I felt like an idiot. Needless to I know Jim already had one on him. I had my laptop there. We had things pointing in left, right, and center. Dr. Jim was uh, pointing cameras towards, you know, the South Pole and the North Pole and anything that was set up. But uh, prior to meeting Dr. Jim there, I, I parked the car next to the uh, Forum Theatre. And as I was about to get out of the car, they put on a 12-inch remix version of New Sensation from NXS. So I thought, that's a good sign. I then saw Dr. Jim sitting on the ground like a vagrant out the front of Forum <laughs> Theatre. Okay. And I thought, oh, I'll give this guy I'll some collapse. coin. I'll give this guy some coin. But as I got closer, I saw his glamorous boots and pants on. I thought, now this guy's a rock star. And I stopped with Jim. And decided to go over to uh, Subway and just uh, load up on some carbs. The first song being played in there was Daft Punk's Okay, Get Lucky with Noel Rogers on guitar right. and co-writing. That's unreal. We then walk across the road to go back to the Forum Theatre and who's walking down the main street of Swanson Street in a dress with three of his uh, mates in a dress was the singer Sam Smith. Okay. <laughs> who happens to be touring in Australia at the time and wearing lots of dresses. Well done, Sam. So we saw him. We then uh, go into the uh, theatre and then we see uh, a lady or an actress there a bit later in the night called Jane Badler. She was an actress in a very famous series called V in the 80s where she was like a she was sort of like a cyber-human lizard, but she was there. Yeah, we it was just a very, very interesting preamble to the show. And uh, we got into the... Uh, we got that letting bad to the side stage area we're going through the the lifts and downstairs and we felt like we felt we felt like special didn't we jim for a moment there if we could indulge it and then we went down into the uh into the change rooms and the big sign there niles rogers dressing room and we checked out all of the things there he had uh, meat platters in the fridge he had wine and he had beer he had tin, uh, he had he had tin tams he had copious amounts of bottles of water Jim and I thought like having a couple of red wines before we started. We thought we better not. We then set everything up and uh, we got into the interview, which you're about to hear. So mm-hmm. look, just a bit of context, a bit of self-indulgent context. But once the uh, cameras rolled and we got into it, we were fine. And uh, uh, he was uh, absolute sweetheart to chat to. And uh, we hope as we press play now that you enjoy it. So ladies and gentlemen, Noel Rogers. G'day. No way. Good. Uh, I'm Hayden and my co-host, me, always from the off start of it. Hello. Uh, to my co-host of NXS Access All Errors. Tim Ferriss was here last week for us to be on, but this got moved, so Tim's right. now on holidays, so we apologise. Dr. Jim is one of our patrons and techie guys who's in helping us. First of all, on behalf of our podcast, we'd like to thank you for coming on. I'd like to start at, at now and say, you must love coming back to Australia. You've been here a number of times. It's been great every time. Yeah. It gets better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, pretty loyal audience. Uh, I know you've been through the last seven, ten days here. I think you're off to China and Dubai next, is it? Right, yeah. Yeah. And just come off the American League. Yep. You must love it. You know, you, the foot we see, you, know, you seem to be very much loving uh, our playing and recording. And I know you had a 
bit of a life illness saddle two years ago. I still yeah. appreciate everything you have every day. So do you leave an evening? Yes, Nick. You got it down. I just what I can hear from your point of view. As we said, it's, an, it's probably expands seeing you do what you do. I think being out there playing is sort of something that you, you obviously enjoy a lot. I really do. Um, you know, it, when I first started playing, when I switched from classical music, basically when I switched from the B-flat clarinet to the guitar, my whole life changed. I looked at music in a different way. I, I never composed except in my head when I was playing classical music, exclusively classical music. When I started to write jazz and pop music, everything seemed different to me. And I never really believed that it would be, my, my tutor used to use the term internalization, like that my music would ever become internalized to be polite. And now I go out on stage and I can just do a little lick and they know what the song is. And they, I mean, last night, the entire crowd was singing. See, I can't tell because I have my in-ears in and it really is dampening the sound of the yes. audience. I can't really hear them until afterwards, until we make a tape or something like sure. that and I hear it. They were singing everything, the, like the entire show. Yeah. It's like, wow. Well, in Australia, we, we um, don't have, well, for years we don't have full metal radio. You know, Michael Hutchins used to say we grew up with Metallica and, and uh, Rita Franklin on the same radio station. Right, yeah, yeah. Just sort of and you end up with a bit of an inexcess sound. They were very vibrant bands. Australians love, you know, a variety of music. They're not cookie cutters. They love, right. you know, of the various styles. And I think your songs and the artists you work with reflect a very wide range of, of sounds and, and bands and artists you work with. Yeah, and, and I've worked with a number of Australian artists. I mean, you know, uh, I was talking to uh, my driver today and I had him cracking up. I said, yeah, I work with uh, rock melons. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Which, yeah. Denny, she she married one of the NXS members. Right, right. Yeah, I did. I mean, Denny Hines, my yeah. daughter, and Martha Rasha. You do it back, I mean, uh, she was in the band or maybe before then? Uh, and a male, I think, solo leads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On it back then, yeah. You know, so I've done NXS, rock melons, um, uh, Tina Arena, yeah. um, Nervo, uh, and with Kylie Minogue. Um, yeah. So it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, and Keith Urban. Yeah. 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 And he, he you know, his first gig, major gig, was singing back up vocals for Excess to one of their songs. Really? Yeah. Sheik yeah. is a, a, a soundtrack I know of many of, of our youth here, of the songs and things, and you know, Tony Thompson and, and, and Bernard Edwards, who. You always pay homage to particularly Bernard. Um, each channel thing when you're out there to feel like he's with you when you're on stage sometimes, like spiritually or it's 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 sort of a different kind of thing. Um Bernard and I, the thing that was wonderful about our partnership is that we were polar opposites. Man, we love that so much about each other. When we met, he already had two kids. Married and two kids. Yeah. And we were like teenagers. I'm like, dude, it's not that. <laughs> He, he had, I mean, I didn't even know how many kids he wound up having in the end, but uh, it's a lot. I'm not like a spiritual guy in the traditional sense. I'm a sort of spiritual guy in the, in the emotional kind of sense. Like Bernard and I were like kindred spirits. So I don't necessarily think of him 
looking down at me and no. things like that. But I do, I do think about him all the time, and sometimes it catches me off guard. Right? I'll I'll be playing a lick and just like at that moment, yeah. and I have to really work hard to not uh, lose it. Yeah. You know, it would be hard for me to explain to the audience. You know, I'm crying because yeah, I'm thinking yeah, about yeah. how much I miss my friend. And, you yeah. know, but that is lost in a way, isn't it? They can't hear that Ming's passing was quite sudden there in Japan, I think, from memory. And that influence, you know, the next few years about producing or touring and, and make a change for you in your pathway. Is there after his passing and things? See, it was really, really strange because I was not gigging at all. I wasn't doing live shows. I was making records almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. And then when, when Bernard and I uh, got back together again and we started playing and doing gigs, it was really fun. And I realized that it was a huge part of my life that was missing. And it was actually performing my own music. It's, it's strange because when you're a composer, you co-write something. It's just as much yours as it is the person that you're writing it for. Well, obviously they're the star and they get all the accolades, but as as a composer, I mean, we are family and I'm coming out. Yes. And, you know, give life back to music and you know, and all the stuff like that with Daft Punk. I mean, it's yes. you know, we were really in there like knocking it out. relevant every decade haven't you really one of your iconic songs is in every decade for the last 50 years yeah and then you know it's funny i didn't think about that until recently when after beyonce when we did cuff it somebody said you know no you've done something that no that no one has done i'm like what are you talking about and this was somebody heavy i'm like you know and he's saying you know the last time i had a number one record was and he's like, yeah, you know, when do you think the last time Paul McCartney had a number one there? I was oh. like, no, I didn't even think of that. He said, and I've had a lot more than he did. <laughs> and he reads playing the same knowledge you lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> In the same city. <laughs> it was a great full circle moment yeah. that uh, we were playing in Australia, the same uh, Across town. Yeah. Yeah, the better venue, though. The My Music Bowl's beautiful venue. I saw the Little River Band there back in the early 18s as a young man. Yeah, it's a, it's a long time ago. I was about seven or eight.
month. It's 40 years since Original Sin was released. As you're probably proud of it, though, it was their first number one hit in Australia and France. And you went over the, the funky side of the band, but I think that template, you know, grew from there. The photos we have got of you and Daryl Hall and the young Michael of the band, uh, they look like teenagers. Tell us about the recording experience and your own words for your memories if you, if you have built I mean, still, I've got uh, great memories. Oh, brilliant. Um, we share. So I'll tell you how we met. I was in Toronto to meet U2. U2 was like the hottest ticket on the planet at that time. So I went up to Toronto to meet U2 and Hall and Oates. So that happened, but I was also producing a Canadian band called Spoons. So after the Spoons session, I went to a nightclub and In Excess were playing at the club. And this was the first time we meet. And their warm up song was the single from my first solo. Super what? No, 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 I am forever to love. Yeah, yeah, not a seat first. Yeah, 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 not. Yeah. No, uh, your So, yeah, my, Nile, the one that, yeah. like, only five copies sold. No, no, the and then they had it harmonized, like four-part harmony. Oh, like, what? Okay. And I'm just meeting these guys for the first time. I said, boy, talk about making a first impression. And come yeah. so I'm going, like, singing it. They said, no, this is how we do our warm-up. So I heard of the tool bus, I think, weren't they? They loved Tim loved it and was playing in all the, uh, I, the tool I guess. Yeah. He was never on the tour bus. No, I just learned from the He just spoke very fondly about that. He just loved it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it was interesting because when I put that album out, I played it for Bowie. Um, he, we, I, as soon as I got the test pressing, we went to my apartment and we listened to it. He lit up like a Christmas tree going, and this is a quote. He says, Niall, if you do a record for me half as good as that, I'd be the happiest man on earth. Now, when we were listening to it, I knew it was a flop because in America, the way that radio works, especially for a black man, especially at the age that I was when I took that out, I knew right away. I don't know why I made a record like that. I wasn't rebelling against my success, but there was something that I felt like I needed to say. And I was doing a lot of drugs. And I knew that I was over the line, like I, I was, was like- Being too honest, do you think, in the, the lyrics or- Yeah, I was super honest Yeah, the lyrics. Yeah. Was, yeah. It was, boy, talk about nonfiction. Yeah, it was- Cheap, was there a, your description of disco band? It was just this band that came together and then this window shut really abruptly, quite unfeeling. Right. Um, the artists with contemporaries realized how great we were already, you know, Diana Ross, the hits with our addicts and you know, Bowie and Nexus, Duran Duran. There were all the all your contemporaries knew how good you know your capabilities were, but there was that anti-disco thing. Yeah. And you're part of a mood where you get categorized. And you saw so it's also you go to the Titanic, don't you? Right. Well, it was funny because we never thought of ourselves as a disco band, and then when they when the whole disco sucks thing happened in America because of my sort of activist past. I claim disco. I said, oh, hell yeah, we're a disco band. Even though we weren't yeah. in our head, we listened to a Chic album. There's, 
it's only a couple of songs that you could really dance to. Yeah. We come from the era where we made albums that were all concepts. And our concept was always the same, that this album, we're a new band and we're opening up for big stars. So we have to tell you who we are every time we make a record. We have to go out on stage and say, hey, we're sheep. C-H-I-C, and we'd like to say a Yes, yes, yes. And you got to teach me the name or two. Well, yeah, it was. But the thing is, is that we needed an opening song for the album. And and so you know, the first the first album, um, we had a song called Strike of the Bad. The second album, we had She Cheer. The third album, uh, I believe we had Open Up on it. If I wasn't on the third album, it certainly was on the fourth album, but I think it was on the third album. We needed we needed a song that we started the show with. Mm-hmm. Um, and every album was supposed to be a new show. Now, that was just a, a theoretical concept, but that's what the concept was. When the Disco Sucks thing happened, we were so enraged because... People that we had made millions and millions and millions of dollars for, all of a sudden would take our phone calls. We didn't understand. Like, wait a minute, we're the same guys that you liked a lot. How could you not take our phone calls? Had we not signed our deal with Diana Ross before the Disco Sucks thing happened, I'm not sure even Motel would have survived it. It's a bit of the end of the dead eighties and yeah, you know, the end of the sixties. Right, I mean, yeah, yeah. The eighties, the nineties, it's all punk and well, the eighties bands disappeared. Um, it's this sort of zest to find a new movement. But that's right. You were at that Toronto club again and seeing in excess play that warm up song, and then what happened next? Uh, that you were able to meet the band by get that night. Yeah, so I met him all that. Night. We had a great time. So the first impression was amazing, but then when I watched their set, what really caught my ear was the drum, the bass drum. And I kept thinking, man, for dance music, that's like the perfect sound. And he had a beater. And I so I turned out, but I asked him, I said, whoa, how are you getting that sound? And he had a wind beater. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. I never never thought of having a wooden beater. I'd have, you know, we'd have that nice attack mm. uh, as opposed to just the round punchiness of it. Mm which I got here in the audience. So we decided we'd make a record together. I don't know how we decided that, but we did. <laughs> and I think that they were well into their record. And maybe Original Sin is the last thing we were we recorded. I'm not sure about that. But I do know when the guys were playing it, I was sitting in the booth at first. They were not getting it right. I couldn't understand. Like this band that I knew could really play 
why are they not getting this song right? So I pick up my guitar and I go out with them and play it. We get it right in one day. Girl. <laughs> but what happens is that the famous wooden beater played a big role because after we played that first tape, the bass drum head broke. broke. Uh, now this was late at one hour to the it broke. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right to the uh-huh. And then so I went Yuri. Like you no, no, no. We had finished the song. Oh, right. It was like right at the end. Oh, I okay. So now it's late at night and we're trying to figure out where do we get another bass drum head so we can at least play it a couple more times. But then I go out to the studio and I listen back and I go, shit, it's right. It's it's good. It's all night. This is working. I don't think we have to play it again. Yeah, the guys agreed, asked Daryl Hall for all the notes to come in and sing background. The main reason why I did that was I knew that in America, you know, Daryl has such a great R&B vibe. I, I just knew that that would be a cool thing. You know, every time I, I do a record, I am so dependent upon the people. I write songs for ensembles. That's how I produce. I think about a multitude of people performing together to create a song or to at least, yeah, to create the song. And- um, Do you think you know, like, adult education, you know, or whatever, in the same studio? Yeah. It does, you know, yeah. I said multitasking, yeah, yeah, yeah. he coughed on them and uh, yeah, he, his vocals right in it and you can hear them. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you get people and they can't hear the vocal. Right, right. But you can definitely hear his vocal. No, that's... Michael was more embarrassing. So I think it really complimented Daryl's. Yeah. Well, was Michael's. It was and embarrassing. And, and the thing that was cool was that, is that I could hear it. I knew it would be cool. I remember when uh, they were singing me the original chorus, which was dream on white boy, dream on white girl, dream on black boy, dream on black girl. Yeah. And I went... You know, I don't know if I'd talk to them about my parents. If I didn't talk to them about it, I just said, you know, it would actually just be more powerful. It's powerful. It would be it would be more thought provoking. Now, here's what really here, just to show you how race is still so unbelievably um, important, and and racism in America is so prevalent that Daryl's manager, who's one of the most powerful people in the music business, Tommy Matola, said, hey, now, what are you trying to do? Give my guys uh, guilt? I was like, oh, dude, this is music. This is an art. You know, this, this is real life. This is, yeah. Like, I think writers actually should that song boy not playing, and I think they might stop playing. And then famously, uh, you know, the audience made it's all a revolver onto the stage when they were playing. And that song came on and down south someday because the lyric was talking about it. But I think chart success aside, I think it gave the song uh, a more political uh, aspect. It gave it a social elements, didn't it? Absolutely. It still sounds corrupting. They were driving through areas seeing black kids and what right, always some girls playing. And I think the lyric change gave it a, a credibility. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, I, I'm sure you probably know this more than I do. But I don't remember getting any pushback from the band. I thought that they they thought, oh no, that actually is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seem to to vibe on the idea a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And for me personally, so my father, you know, obviously my biological father is black, but the father who raised me is white. So seeing an interracial couple, even in Greenwich Village, you rarely would see a white man with a black woman. It would usually be the other way around. And see a black man because he's an entertainer, he's a sports person or whatever. And that was a lot more uh, the norm, even they hit this part of New York. Mm-hmm. My dad and mom were the odd couple, but because they were so odd, they were really cool. People loved my stepfather. They thought he was the coolest guy in the world. I remember all of the, uh, or a great preponderance of his black friends we call him White Bobby. Uh-huh. And I, I wrote in my autobiography, I said, obviously because they knew other Bobbies who weren't white. Yes. But, <laughs> so they just said, well, you know, White Bobby. Yes. Uh, so it was having my childhood feeling Racism just perpetrated so openly all my life. And now I had a chance to work with artists who could just talk about it, you know, tangentially, and it could maybe work. Whereas if I did the same thing, so we didn't, we died. Uh, no, no, I thought it's cool. So speak a lot of with Pat and Lauren and from Train about five or six years ago. It was a, to our deep dive, and you really got quite nitty gritty about your past for growing up and your right. mother and father and just you know, bringing music outside you and things like that. It's still one of the most wonderful, honest accounts on your behalf. And wish we had more time today to, to reveal what we don't. Your uh, transition, I guess, between, you know, Sheik and then going into the production in the 80s, I mean, Simon LeBon, I think, heard the original sit out here and you yeah. liked all the, like, wow, you know, like, get me into the studio and Six months later, the reflex and everything's coming from there. And we've got the uh, card versus that asked you question. She's from Birmingham, where Simon's from uh, originally. But No, well, Simon's not from Birmingham, actually. He's the only one that's not from Birmingham. Well, the rest of the band is. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the swagger of work must have been, you know, redeeming going through the 80s, going from one house to the next. I know B had a Madonna question, I think. Is that right? Well, I was going to ask you about the Black Panthers as well. You were a member of the Black Panther. You touched on it earlier. So how, how did that sort of like come about? So what, what happened was I um, I always find it interesting that people think you just one day become a Black Panther. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I had a I would do each The glasses and the beret on and you're off you go. <laughs> I was... Um, so because my parents were pretty hip and and they had, uh, I could probably sum it up like this. Harry Belafonte proposed marriage to my mother four times. <laughs> that's how cool my mother was. Right. And she oh my began, God. wow, now that, that's fine. That is a cool one. Yes. That so, is a cool woman. And, uh, and was it, that- no, what was it? <laughs> no, no, no. She was just totally in love with my stepfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so uh, having parents like that, they socialized me to really care about people. So I was always working uh, in soup kitchens, helping homeless people. Um, when I was younger, I don't know why there were so many 
people who needed help crossing the street. Like whatever happened yeah. to those people? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I guess, uh, you know, I was born in 1952. So when I was around six years old, I guess automobiles had been around for some time, but, but still for some reason, people would stand there at the corner waiting for you to help them cross the street. Mm. And I, and I did that a lot. And so I was always doing, you know, just sort of these extra, uh, she for your fellow man and thing. Yeah. 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 My, but my mom, you know, she, you always need to help people out because you know, that could be you one day. Mm. She didn't say it like that, but that's how I internalized it. Um, she would always just say, you know, follow the golden rule. And the way she would explain it was treat others the way you would like to have others treat you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I agree. Oh, I'd love to have others walk me across. So it, but if I were blind, <laughs> yeah. and the, the tricky thing is that I was legally blind. I used to have to wear glasses that were so thick when I was a child. Wow. Um, and then I got contact lenses and then uh, I got the surgery, which you know, like corrected my vision. I almost see, see like an eagle. Yeah. Um, and then you get older and then it's a muscle thing. But, but anyway, so, uh, so I was a peace think hippie, like, oh, wow, man. And I was that guy. Yeah. And then you go to demonstrations, stop the war, man, stop the war, and you get beaten up. Yes. Like, Wait a minute. So you're a bit of a hippie. Uh, pardon me? You're a little bit of a hippie. Oh, I was a lot of bit of a hippie. Um, and, you know, so, but I was also a martial artist and I was really good. I took it quite seriously. So, uh, you know, when the police would beat us up and of course the police would always win, but I could, I could hold my own a bit. Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of times they would swing a baton at me and I would like either block it or actually catch it and pull her eye and run. It would steal the hat. Yeah, I'd be bad. Wow. Unfortunately, you're obviously aware Michael passed in 97 through circumstances that uh, um, if you ever get a, a chance to see the documentary Mystified by Richard Lowenstein, who did all the videos, it's a very good documentary. I'm not calling where Australia's at. Um, was there some chances you were going to collaborate again at some point? Uh, there are still discussions, I think. Uh, I think so, because we liked each other so much. We really got along very well. Um, and I was you know, a party animal. Um, I, I know that uh, Simon LeBond told me how much they hung out, which I didn't realize because I have the wackiest career. As soon as I finish one record, I'm on to the next. And somehow people think that I'm not your friend anymore because no. like I'm not there yeah. like 24 seven as I am when I'm producing the record. Like when I'm doing a record, it's all about the artist that I'm working with. Um, and so, you you know, I finished one record, moved to the next, moved to the next, moved to the next. The day that I finished Madonna, 
Mick Jagger was waiting in the wings to do his first solo album. So that day when we rap, well, yeah, right to Mick Jagger. Yeah. Um, so the back to Duran again, I've seen. Oh yeah, Duran. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, I was very fortunate um, in that uh, I, I'm still the only producer that has the number one, the number two, and the number three album on the Billboard chart at the same time. Wow. Madonna was number one. Uh, Duran Duran, Notorious was number two, and Robert Plant. The Honey Trippers was number three. Oh, wow. had, even the Beatles haven't pulled out. Nah. <laughs> like, why did you say that? And they had maybe four or five. Yeah. yeah. You know. Well, we know under a bit of a strict time code now, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, and thank you very much for, for jumping on. Um, uh, we have a bit of a, a plan to try to lobby and access to get the Hall of Fame. We think they should be there. Yeah. They've uh, had a career in Australia, they've had a career in America, they've had a career in Europe. Um, and I think that uh, hopefully they can get any due soon. Mm-hmm. Anything you can do to help along the way, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, I know you've had some knowledge in the last couple of years, so I think if you're on the or flying JAD committee or chairing that, many things there. But uh, we'd love to, uh, Australia's net actually had uh, its own born and bred artists make it in there. The Bee Gees, Ace and Ace Right. From overseas, but, right. but we've never had our own artist. We've had plenty of uh, wordy contending. So we, we uh, a bit like Canada, we suffer from distance a bit, but uh, we hope to see the band do it. We we thank you for your involvement with the band. Um, uh, a lot of our listeners have uh, listened to us and are excited to have you come on today. We're looking forward to the shows and nights. I'm not going to ask you if you're playing original scene. I'm going to stand there hoping you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do know that uh, you've got a, a rich touch of songs tonight. We, do, we think you could come along today. But again, a couple of us, Aussies, uh, 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 have a chat today. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just so tired. I'm That's right. Brilliant. Thank you. No, thank you very much. And this is Manny from the UK. This is Lisa Mack from Brisbane, Australia. And this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. And that's a wrap. All right, well, there was Noel Rogers, uh, B. Uh, I know you weren't actually there, but I could see the glow from uh, Coffs Arbor via the screen. Uh, I think you enjoyed that as much as we did. Oh, mate, you did an, a tremendous job with the amount of time that we, it was so limited with our time. And uh, thank you for letting me have a few words. In my head, I had all these hundreds of um, questions and at the back of my head, it was Black Panther, Black Panther. And I don't know why I came out with that. It's not very in excess related, but I think, I think it actually went a little bit deeper because he spoke about his parents and his childhood and that was pretty amazing to to hear that where he came from I never knew he was brought up by um, a white man and a, and a black lady and uh, I mean that's creative in itself isn't it absolutely uh and Jim what did you sort of get out of it I guess being sort of there you know central and you know obviously the gig also that followed well I guess firstly on the interview mate honestly you did a great job mate really I mean that I thought we went really deep and I think he kind of had this moment like, shit, I've got to get out of here. But actually, I felt like he wanted to stick around and talk more. That was my kind of take, but he's on a schedule. He's about to do a meet and greet, right? Exactly. Um, So that was just, I thought that was really cool. Even um, me sneaking in the story of, you know, the kiss connection and uh, had a big smile on his face because he knew what I was on about. But, mate, the gig was just phenomenal. You know, we're talking to a guy... As you guys know, I've met, I met Desmond Child last year, who's also a hit maker, 
and he's in the same space as a Nile Rogers, but Nile's on another level again. <laughs> you know, he's just he's not just, you know, he's so relevant, like we said earlier, and he's he's gone across all these genres. The fact that he's I feel like he's living his own rock star dream now, as he did maybe in the early seventies, because he became this, you know, um phenomenal music collaborator, you know, with that kind of chunk and chunk, you know, um riffy sound that he's got that's so so beautiful across you know all these different um artists but no no it was great i love i love the way it was sort of cut up it wasn't the entire song was almost like half medley like you know so everybody was dancing mate and what was cool do you remember how we kind of looked around the crowd and go look at this crowd it's what kind of crowd is this it's not one age it's not a certain look it was very mixed and sometimes the the night of the the week when a concert's on can dictate the level of enthusiasm. If, if you're going to a gig on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, sometimes, you know, you've come from work and crowds are a little bit fatigued, you know, and even on a Sunday night, sometimes you think, oh, people are sort of settling down for the weekend. But that was like a, that was like a Friday night, Saturday night crowd, you know, that, yes. that really engaged in the experience and gave back to, back as much as he gave out. And kudos to the uh, the singers and the actual band members themselves. Um what did you get out of those? Not just Niall himself, uh, Jim. Oh, what do we say? Hey, hey, what, what did you say about the bass player? I don't know. What did I say? Slap that, slap that, slap that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was quoting a Rudd movie, uh, Slapping the Bass, you know. But if you but if you saw the, um, the bass player, it had this kind of like, almost like this crocodile kind of creature-like movements. He was moving around like a reptile, but he had us engaged. And he's like sitting behind Noel. It was beautiful. Um, yeah. The drummer was amazing during uh, Let's Dance. The the two female singers were, you know, did some great bouncing off each other with that kind of really rock, you know, rock and rock soul music. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um, including the key, some of the keys as well. So the so- okay, song and it was great. I think he did Modern Love. Uh, I think also the uh, the horn section or brass section were really, really, really strong and tight. And I think, you know, from an audience point of view, uh, you're right, they sort of medleyed it up a little bit. So you didn't always uh, have the whole five-minute song. They they took two choruses and a verse and, and played certain medleys within. And I'll, I'll go through that set list uh, in a moment. But it really was almost like a, a nightclub sort of this extended song. Yes. And it went for a hundred minutes straight, and there was no encore. It was like bang, song one through to song twenty-five. Here you go, everybody. And then when it finished, it was like bang, we're out of here. Mate, he really enjoyed it, Hayden. Did you see him hanging around to the end? Yeah, like he was. He was wanting to re-engage with the crowd again. It was like he actually said, "This is. It sounds like this has been the most engaging experience he's had. You know, maybe because he's found, you know, with." post-COVID and getting back into the music industry and he feels blessed, he's around, he's had a crazy life himself and here we are and he's, many of the artists that he's, you know, doing, you know, some of them are not around. So like there's, there's right. something to that. Well, look, going to the set list quickly, uh, one of the things which is interesting, about 80% of the songs he wrote with the bands or the artists he worked with, there's probably 20, 30% of songs that he didn't write but he helped produce, and I think he said in the interview, he felt, you know, part of the collaboration, you feel like it's your album, you feel like it's your songs, um, and probably came up with the guitar licks on most of those non, you know, song rights, but, you know, gave gave the, uh, you know, the songwriting rights to the artists themselves. But um, just quickly, he opened up with uh, yeah, a bit of a, a cheap uh, uh, quadrilla. He started opening uh, the gig with Le Freak. 
He then went into Everybody Dance. Uh, he then went into Dance, Dance, Dance. Yazza, yazza, yazza. Uh, he then went into I Want Your Love. Paused a little bit. Gave a little bit of a speech about Diana Ross, and he did the double I'm Coming Out and Upside Down, which was uh, which was great. Sort of was almost like a medley. Uh, he then went into Sister Sledge, uh, which was a you know a band that uh, singers that he wrote for, which was uh, he's the greatest dancer. Uh, some people know the riff for uh, Get Jiggy With It with Will Smith. It's mm-hmm. the same riff uh, that he stole from uh, Sister Sledge and used it for his uh, solo track. Uh, and then went into We Are Family. Uh, he then uh, diverted into Madonna, Like a Virgin Material Girl, with uh, cool things he wrote. He then went into Modern what Life. Was the, hang on, what was the story? Uh, which one? About Madonna. Oh, he just said he, she should release Material Girl first. It's a stronger song than Like a Virgin. Oh. <laughs> um, and uh, called the old Material Girl, and uh, Madonna sort of said, no, nah, Like a Virgin's better, it's more controversial. And I think he said she was right in the end. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> albeit they both were, were, you know, equally strong hits. He then went into Modern Love, which, as I said, the keyboard player sung the vocal. Uh, real rip-roaring version of that, which was uh, great. He then spoke about uh, the song Cuff It, which is on the Beyonce's latest album that he co-wrote and won, I think, two Grammys uh, this year for. He then veered into Get Lucky, uh, the staff pump. Off. Yeah, and gave a little story about that. And then they played uh, Lose Yourself to Dance, which is another Daft Punk song on the same album, and co-write with Pharrell singing. He then went into a song called Space, which was a song in the early 80s, basically a French dance act that uh, was a hit in the early 80s. One of the great songs that people know the sample more than the original is a song called Soup for One. Uh, but a lot of people know the song is Leader, you know, uh, you know that, that dance track in the last few years. Yes. Uh, Hear Me Tonight. And that was great, you know, because he then played the original version and then he played- And the then he went into that version. Yeah. That was amazing. Sample of the latest hit version, you know, um, which was cool. Uh, back to Sister Sledge for Lost in Music. Then went into Notorious with Duran Duran and- Said that the band used to call him. He's, he's actually a, a Durani, uh B. You probably like that. I know that. Honorary Durani. Yes. Yeah. Back to Sister Sledge with Thinking of You. Back to Sheik with My uh, Feet Keep Dancing and then uh, Sheik Cheer and then My Forbidden Lover. Then went into the Rip Roaring, one of the songs of the night, Let's Dance with Bowie. And then closed. Uh, before, before that, what did he call it? Funkosity. Oh, yes, yes, that's true. So I talk about funkosity, a new word. And they finished the night off with good times and then sort of broke into Rapper's Delight, which a lot of people know the Sugar Hill Gang uh, took the uh, sample of that. Uh, and very famously, Noel heard this sample in at Studio 54 and he goes, geez, that song's for me. Oh, that's right. I wrote that. And then he heard these rappers at about 1980, you know, sampling the, uh, the riff and putting a rap over the top. Probably the only time for the night, that was where he sung the, the Rapper's Delight version, I think, Jim. I loved it. I thought it was just, he did a he great was, job. He he was covering he was, right band, he was covering the band Rappers Delight who had sampled Good Times and then he was covering them, covering them who were covering him. That's <laughs> great. That's brilliant. Love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> and the ability to with a lot of by play with the crowd was huge. And um well, we do know that, you know, this will go out as an audio, but B and I think uh Jim, you're gonna be taking a lot of our footage together. We're going to do a, a, a visual release of some of the gig, gig stuff that night. Bring those clips. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. We're going to put this it on. Thing. Yeah. So um, that'll be really good. So even though we've sort of quoted the songs, so we'll give uh, some footage of this and cut it into a little uh, visual episode as well, which would be great. Fantastic. And I heard you went backstage. What's that all about? 
Well, we sort of didn't get we didn't get the backstage yeah. classes they were supposed to give us, but uh, we just talked our way into it after the gig to go back. But uh, by the time we got downstairs, uh, Noel had cleared out. They said, "Oh no, Noel's already in bed." <laughs> no, so, he got he left straight so, away. So uh, a friend of mine, she got us the set list thing signed off by one of the bass players, and they gave us all the. Uh, I've got something for you, B. They gave us all the. Uh, the posters off each person's change room, so I'll send that to you. Oh, uh, it's got Noel, Rich, Noel, Noel Rogers change room, so I thought you'd like that. I would. Um, so you can put that straight in the pool room, okay, where you've got all your other stuff. But uh, yeah, and that, and that was sort of the night, and we just, uh, I guess, we're sort of walking out of the gig when we, uh, Jim, just feeling pretty uh, happy with ourselves. <laughs> oh, mate, it was a Head great, it was, it was a great night. It was uh, a very memorable night, and yeah. it was like, but it was everything, you know, it was. It was, you know, Noel Rogers is this, you know, the king, as, as Andrew Farris says, king of funk. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. I have images of you skipping down the road down. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting, you know, the next day until you start thinking about it all, but one of the things which was great is that I know last week we, we sort of did our episode, you know, with uh, the guys from... Uh, Vox Neon. We did our interview last week, Scott and Sean, yes? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the thing that with that episode, obviously we have that footage of John Farris at school and, you know, what a great photo of that time. And we've had a lot of people really like the episode, but I was just thinking of what Noel said about, you know, hearing John's drums and hearing the wooden yeah. bass, uh, uh, you know, I guess versus the metal and uh, that sound that stood out for him. And, you know, that motivated him to, I guess, in many ways work with the band and, I just love the anecdote about the fact that effectively in excess trumped you too by getting to work with Noel. Yes. Pretty cool. We like that. <laughs> yeah. So in excess, apparently just can't see you too, but in excess uh, funked it up to the level where Noel's like, yep, I'm going to work with you guys. Oh, yeah. And, and, rem- and remember, you know, I was saying like there is, I mean, I've gone on the induct stuff, um, some of the Noel stuff, but I think Noel says he was finishing up with David Bowie. Um, before before in excess had arrived in that in that year, so that was really cool to have that connection. Like he's on the way out, and um, we're going to work with these new guys from Australia. So that was very well. Cool. As we heard, you know, he had one artist after the next waiting for him, and we just you know, as I called out earlier in the show, the the the, the set list of art, of artists that he's worked with. I mean, some of them cross over within the same year, some of them cross over within the same month, some of them in the next year, and then he's gone back to work with some of the similar people again. And But he was just banked up. And quite interesting, though, and I think humbly, <clears throat> as he alluded to, um, you know, Sheik were really caught up in that disco, you know, um, uh, anti sort of, you know, pushback. And if they hadn't signed, or he hadn't signed a contract to work with Diana Ross, he just, it's like that sort of, you know, um, uh, passing moment where he goes, gee, sliding doors. Wonder where I could have ended up because the fact that he got number one hits for Diana Ross mm. just propelled him into his production career, mm. and he only signed, him up, signed them up on the back end of uh, the stuff he did with Cheek when they were popular, not when Disco suddenly got the flick. Yes, so, you know, it's sliding flick moments, you know. Yeah, you say Cheek so differently to me. Well, it's it's it, uh, yeah. Sometimes it's an Aussie we call it chic, but it's a chic, you know. You know? Chic, it is chic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, you never really got to answer that question about um going to do some more music with Michael, but what he did answer with was that he liked Michael and 
he was saying that he likes all the artists that he works with, but because the door is revolving all the time, as we we witnessed, didn't we? He literally came in, sat down, did the did the show with us, and he was whipped out back to another person to do all his signings. His door is just revolving all the time for seventy. What was he seventy two? Seventy two, yeah. And he yeah. looked immaculate. He yes. looked brilliant. What an angel. What a look, awesome yeah. guy. I, um, I'm pretty gutted that I couldn't get down there to see him. But I do know on YouTube, there's lots of um, footage at the moment of, um, I think they call it the little office or the little desk. That was awesome. The little desk concerts. I really stress to everybody, go and look at those. They are awesome. Well, you know, we uh, we hope we can leverage Niall's success uh, coming on with some other artists and uh, – uh, look, my it was funny. I was chatting some of the day who did ask, how did you get him on? And I just said, look, I was just prepared to get a no. And there's about 20, 30 other people I've asked uh, to come on our show. And all they can say is no. And if they say no, we're in the same position if I don't ask. But if one out of 20 say yes, you know, they come on, fantastic. And Noel was probably the top of my list to come on. And he was the one that said yes. So Amazing. thank you him well been behind the scenes. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, mate. Well, because you said to me you had to try and trump me, now I've got to try and trump you. And I've already, <laughs> and I've already been given, I'll tell you off air what I've been given, but I've already been given a couple of emails. So I'm going to be on to them soon. Okay. Right. Okay. But what we, I'm, I'm glad we didn't jinx it too much by announcing he was coming out. I've been sitting on this for about six weeks. So, yes. Um, but, I think I gave a few hints out with my two weeks till Nile Rogers, my 10 days tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, on Facebook. But yeah, as I said, it's just great to be able to chat to him. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, it's 40 years of, of, of original sin. And um, I think from that sort of point of view, um, you know, it's a very timely process to get a guest on. And I know B, uh, I think just a little birdie told me as well. Is it your wedding anniversary this week? <laughs> it yeah. is, yes. Yeah. I know you wanted to go out with Nija tonight. I wonder where the original sin would be approached. <laughs> 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 but uh, look, we'll let you pick the song on the way out tonight. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Thanks for Dr. Jim for coming or helping last week. You might feel like you were the the hall, no, sorry, the Yotes in Hall and Oats. Yeah, the guy with the moustache who doesn't do a lot. <laughs> In all ways. But trust, I love it, mate. But trust me, you did more than uh, John uh, Oates does in Hall and Oates the other day. You gave me calm, uh, calmness and you gave me uh, support that uh, uh, I needed. So thank you. I felt I played that role. I'm going to sit next to you. We're just going to be chilled here. Yeah. And you interviewed him amazingly, mate. We ran out of time. What can you do? We we're on the clock. She was pushing the number going, hey, yeah, 30 minutes. you got to get out. We got. We probably got 35 out. And, uh, you know, Dr. Jim didn't steal the Tim Tams either, everybody, just in case. <laughs> yeah. That's um, a job if I was there. But we'll handball to you. It's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from Dr. Jim as well. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody. Well, I want to uh, dedicate this song to my gorgeous husband, who is just like the best husband you could ever have. He's uh, fit, handsome intelligent, <laughs> clever. He's my rock, my mentor. I absolutely adore you, darling. So you're definitely my kind. Let's go!
than centuries yesterday You can care out the wall Everybody does, yeah, that's okay, yeah Listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B.